Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Another week, another two episodes of Star Trek to cover on the Positively Trek podcast. I'm Dan Gunther. With me, of course, is Bruce Gibson. Bruce, are you ready for another double-sized helping of Star Trek this week? Oh, absolutely. Come on, just bring it on. I'm ready. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so we're, we're in the middle of this three-week period here where we get Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. We're doubly blessed or spoiled or overwhelmed as Star Trek fans, depending on your perspective. And we're going to talk about both of those episodes. We have Discovery's Species 10C, the second last episode of Season 4, and Picard's second episode of Season 2, Penance, to discuss. But first, we do have some news to talk about. And this week saw, finally, (laughs) we've been waiting for this, it feels like, for so long. We have the Star Trek Strange New Worlds first teaser trailer Let's have a listen. Chris. I need you back, Captain. No matter how many stars there are in the sky, no matter how many galaxies swirl beyond our own, no matter what the mathematical probabilities or the number of times we say we are not alone in the universe. Our first visit from the stars always the province of children's stories and science fiction. Until one day, it isn't. So, Bruce, did you get a chance to check out the trailer as soon as it dropped? Were you as eager as I was to, to watch this? I wasn't aware that the trailer was dropping. That morning, I saw the Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer, and I was thrilled to watch that. And then later in the day, I saw something online where somebody said about the Strange New Worlds teaser trailer. I was like, wait, is that real? And someone, I saw a tweet on that. I guess I caught this maybe 20 minutes after it dropped. It was wasn't long after it dropped, so I was uh, able to catch it and watch it, and I was like, ooh, I got two trailers in one day. I was very happy. See, like you said, this is a double whammy of stuff in this episode, <laughs> right? So, yeah. Yeah, that morning, I remember getting up that morning and seeing both of the trailers in my YouTube queue, and I was 
I was honestly a little bit frozen as to which one to watch first. <laughs> so uh, I did watch the Strange New Worlds teaser first because, I mean, Star Trek's my first love. And then I watched the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer. You know, it's interesting. So this trailer for Strange New Worlds, uh, the first glimpse we get of Pike is a very bearded Pike. So I actually had kind of Obi-Wan vibes from him already watching this teaser. Now that you mention it, we've had a bearded Spock. Now we have a bearded Pike. We'll have a bearded number one at some point, I'm sure. Like, we have to have everybody bearded in this in this series. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, definitely a different look for him. It looks like he's kind of hiding out in his home, you know, not really being with Starfleet. And we get this voiceover saying, we need you back, Chris. And I'm thinking he's kind of decided to seclude himself because, of course, we know in this new Strange New Worlds show, Pike is aware of his destiny and, and at least has a glimpse of what happens to him in the future. So I'm wondering if that kind of is playing into why he's being reclusive and, and cutting himself off here. Yeah, I hadn't really thought that much about it. Like, why is he down there? That probably is the reason, you know, or are they just on a break for a while or did he leave Starfleet and they wanted him back or something? Yeah, I haven't really thought too much about it. I'm curious to see how they play this. And uh, the rest of the trailer, we kind of get glimpses of different alien worlds and this voiceover by number one talking about learning that you're not alone in the galaxy and that sort of thing. And I kind of had a thought about this trailer. Of course, we know the show is going to be more episodic, less serialized than the other shows. So there's not necessarily a big, huge season long story arc that they're doing. It's more standalone episodes because I was thinking watching the trailer, like I'm not really getting a sense of what the story is. And I'm like, oh, right. There's not really a, a preset season long story so it makes sense that the trailer would just be kind of uh, little glimpses of some of the adventures that we're going to see in season one It'd be a little more difficult to put together a trailer for a show like that i think that in this modern world where we're always like what's the story what's the big thing this season yeah and this is a teaser trailer so typically we don't get a whole lot in teaser trailers. So there'll be another trailer, I'm sure, that maybe we get a little more details of what these episodes are going to be about. But we're seeing a lot of environmental shots, shots of cityscapes. You know, it's making it feel otherworldly, strange new worlds. And then it's got the retro vibe to it. You know, there's mm -hmm. certain sound effects, you know, sounds in here that make it sound retro to the original pilot of the cage. And we also see the shuttlecraft that has a very retro vibe to it. And even that shot of Pike's communicator on the shelf. I don't know if you noticed like the the early 20th century telephone on the on the table behind it. Like Pike seems to have this like relationship with antiques and old earth stuff and and definitely getting that vibe not not just retro in the sense of like retro futuristic but retro earth now as well, which is kind of interesting plays with his personality a bit i think i don't recall but in the cage did we see in his quarters any like old retro things in that i don't recall kind of i think unintentionally so now if you look when he walks in there's like an old television basically <laughs> and I, I don't think that was intended to feel retro because it looked like kind of a modern television of 1964 when it was made 
but now it feels very retro. So I wonder if maybe they're kind of picking up on some of those cues. Yeah, it could be. It would be funny if we see that TV in this series. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, the last thing that I wanted to mention about this trailer is uh, when we see a shot of an away team or sorry, a landing party. I should remember what era we're set in uh, beaming down and the transporter effect. I really loved it because it's it's got some modern flourishes to it, but it's also got that like 1960s original Star Trek kind of glitter look to it as well, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they're doing a good blend between making it of today, but feeling retro uh, back then. You make that blend. It really works well. Absolutely. Well, of course, we will be tuning in on May 5th to watch the first episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We'll be bringing a review of that episode to you here on Positively Trek so looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, it's weird, too, because my wife always tends to watch trailers twice when I show them to her, but she only wanted to watch this one once. Hmm. And I told her, I said, uh, well, the fact that you're not asking me to replay, it tells me that you really didn't think that much of it. And she goes, no, it was fine and stuff. And I reminded her that, well, it is a teaser trailer. We're not getting a whole lot in it. So... I am hoping we get something more beefy on the next trailer. Well, the second piece of news that I wanted to talk about is the wrapping of production of Star Trek Picard Season 3. And uh, I was first uh, made aware of this with a tweet by Jerry Ryan. And uh, she tweeted, and just like that, it's done. That's a series wrap on Star Trek Picard. So surreal since season two has just started airing. I can't wait for you all to see what's to come in season three. Huge love to our incredible cast and crew. What a journey this has been. So yeah, a bit of, uh, I mean, we saw this coming. We knew that this was probably the case. Uh, and she confirms it in replies to that tweet and stuff. Season three is, in fact, the final season of Star Trek Picard. That is a series wrap. They aren't planning on doing any more, uh, which, like I said, was expected. But, uh, yeah, really excited based on the little glimpses we've seen from the showrunner, Terry Matalis, about the about what's coming in season three. I'm really excited to see how this whole journey wraps up. Well, first of all, this is a bit of a spoiler, I guess, because that means that Seven and Nine lives past season two. I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to mention that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think we all kind of suspected that probably would be true. And then, you know, thinking about you saying this is the season or the series finale that, you know, I'm curious to see if they spin something off of this using her character or some of the others from the show. I mean, we could see that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been on record saying I wouldn't mind a uh, Fenris Rangers series or maybe even the Star Trek Starfleet Academy series. Maybe it's set around this time with some of the characters from Picard. Uh, maybe we'll see, see some of Elnor's time at the Academy. Who knows, right? It could really be anything and anywhere. So, yeah, I'm excited. That's interesting that you say about the Starfleet Academy series because we've been introduced a little more and more to Starfleet Academy and Star Trek Discovery with Tilly going off to teach at the Academy. And we start this season of Picard with Picard speaking to the Academy and 
Rafi working with at the Academy and Elnor in the Academy. Now I'm like, well, are we going to get an Academy series that takes place in the Discovery time or the Picard time or maybe neither? Absolutely. Yeah, we've been speculating that it, it could be in any era and the possibilities really are endless. So, yeah, the end of Star Trek Picard doesn't necessarily mean the end for all of the characters of the show. So... Who knows? We'll get to the review of this week's episode, but after after this week's episode, I wouldn't mind a spin-off just of Agnes Girati at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be go. on board with that. <laughs> yeah, or Soji or whoever. Well, with that, let's get to our episode reviews. We'll start with Star Trek Discovery Season 4 Episode 12, Species 10C, right after this brief break. Thank you to you, our listeners, for supporting Positively Trek and to especially our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to contribute to Positively Trek and be a patron on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash positively trek. You'll get perks like early access to episodes and bonus content. And for those who are in the higher levels, you get shout outs and associate producer credits and much more. And speaking of shout outs, let's give a shout out to Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber. Thank you all for your support. Now let's go back to the show. Your friend Tarka's gonna kill us all. What are you talking about? I saw his calculations. If he pulls the power source while the DMA's up and running, the hyperfield will implode, destroying everything and anyone inside of it. He said it'll be safe. He lied. In the subspace rift it'll leave near Earth will kill everyone almost as fast as the DMA would. We're just saying that's so I'll let you out. Tell him to show you the math. His equations won't make any sense, but the look on his face will. Species 10C. We finally, finally, finally get to meet the reclusive, mysterious species behind the DMA, or at least that was the assumption when we saw the title for this episode, and indeed it does seem to come to pass. So... Yeah, Species 10C, we're at the penultimate episode of Season 4. We're coming towards the end here. And definitely with this episode, it feels like things are picking up and things are kind of steamrolling ahead to towards a conclusion to this season. So, uh, Bruce, did you watch Picard or Discovery first this week? I watched Discovery first and Picard second, and I'll do that next week too. Nice. I I wish I had that option. But again, just the way I watch it on Crave, Picard comes out on Thursday and Discovery doesn't come out until Friday evening. So uh, I did watch Picard first, but I did want to talk about Discovery first because, like I said, we're coming towards the end of that storyline here. So we're headed towards the hyperfield. Discovery is en route with Book's ship clinging to the underside, unbeknownst to anyone aboard except for Reno, who's of course been taken prisoner and is aboard Book's ship now. And I got to say, I was really looking forward to this, to seeing Reno in action aboard Book's ship and what she kind of brings to that whole situation. And I'm going to be honest, I think there's a lot that I love about this episode, first of all. But Jet Reno, I think, is just one of the best parts of the series in general and in this episode i just loved her yeah because her character's so great you know she's just so very dry and very opinionated and states the facts and she's always got these little one-liners that are very humorous and 
just to see her there on bookship and just watching Tarka and just, you know, observing and calling book over and saying, hey, he's playing you. Get get a grip, dude. <laughs> you know, I mean, so many ways like that. And he's going to kill all of us. And just the way she does it, it's not over dramatic, right? He's going to kill all of us. You know, we got to do something. It's just like, dude, ch- get a grip on things. You know, I just love her personality. Yeah, me too. And Black Licorice, you know, not just an affectation. It actually has some some engineering use here. <laughs> so that was fun seeing her kind of MacGyver her way out of it a little bit too. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And we'll see that payoff, I'm sure, in the next episode. So meanwhile, we've got Discovery trying to make contact with Species 10C, and they've learned a lot from the various pheromones, the various hydrocarbon compounds that they got in the previous episode. And they use the dots to kind of spray the edge of the hyperfield with the one that they've identified relates to peacefulness to kind of send the message, we come in peace. So... I'm I'm already enjoying at this point the idea of like trying to communicate with something so alien and this kind of little knock at the door just to see what happens and it pays off. They <laughs> in a kind of scary way get pulled into the hyperfield here. I was kind of reminded of like the the kawoosh from the Stargate wormhole opening as it went out and grabbed the dots and then grabbed Discovery. Uh, A little terrifying, but, you know, got them inside. Yeah, I was actually surprised. I thought the Discovery would get away, and it didn't. But the dots, you know, they have. do they really have to squeal? It just breaks my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the dots are so adorable. There was the scene where they're first loading them up with the compound, and they're, like, getting sent upwards through the hatch out, and they do this little, like, shrug, and then zoom! And it's so cute. I love them. I really want to see a behind the scenes look at that scene because I'm watching Indira just lift them up, you know, and I thought they're probably not really there like that, you know? And so it's like, what is there? Like, how did they block the scene? I'd be curious mm. to see how that's done. That would be fun. Yeah. I, I love the the way they like jump and uh, I don't know. They're so cute. I want one. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, I want one too. Absolutely. So they get pulled into the hyperfield, like I said, and they're kind of encased in this orb. It feels like they're a little sample for the Species 10C to study. Like, ooh, look, I caught this little bug in a jar. Let's check it out. What's going on here? Basically, we get this kind of extended scene in the shuttle bay where they're trying to communicate with Species 10C using the compounds and species 10 C flashes patterns of light at them. This whole like scientific working out how they're communicating and and what it is they're doing. And Medi even gets a shout out here where, which, which is the organization I believe that Anson Mount is working with for uh, contacting extraterrestrial intelligence. That whole thing was so cool. I really had like the vibes from the movie arrival. If you've seen that it, just this whole trying to communicate and without the universal translator, what does that look like? How basic can we make this? That was so cool to me. That was fabulous to me because 
how many times do we see Star Trek? They beam down to some planet. They've never met this alien race before, and they can instantly communicate with them through the universal translators. And you have to kind of make allowances for, well, this is a TV show. We can't spend the whole hour trying to translate, you know, and communicate. We just need to get to the story. But this is that. This is that, you know, we need to spend the hour to learn to communicate with an alien race. And that's what makes it feel so alien. And they're not humanoid looking. It really did have, like you said, the vibe of Arrival. It also gave me vibes of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, in that movie, they're using musical tones, you know, and in this, we're using some math and things, you know, and typing it out. I just found this whole thing really enticing to me because this is the kind of Star Trek I think I've always wanted is something like this. I don't want it to be easy to just communicate with an alien race. It has to be figured out. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. There's so much about this that works so well. The the kind of slow figuring it out with Dr. Hurai and, and that kind of thing. But then also realizing they need some different perspectives. So let's get some of the bridge crew down here to kind of work the problem and think it through and stuff. And I mean, you've got a huge brain trust on Discovery. So it makes sense. Like these people have gone through the Academy. They're in incredibly intelligent scientists it makes sense that they would have something to bring to the conversation and and just different perspectives and bouncing ideas off each other that's something that i love about collaboration in the real world so to see that on screen as well i mean that's something star trek's done throughout its history that was really fun to see as well yeah because they're collaborating there and they're on the shuttle bay and then they're still not really figuring it out. They're, they're getting close. Well, let's bring some of the bridge crew down because they all have a different perspective. Maybe they'll see something that we're not seeing. And again, it's that this is a team effort. It's not about, well, I'm the captain, you're the president, and you know we're all these senior members. We should be able to figure this out without getting, quote, kind of like the lower deckers in, in a sense, you know? But it's not about ego and it's not about what position you're in. I mean, the people I work with, as I've moved up in my career, I'm working more and more with the high-end executives. And I guess I guess I'm close to that or whatever. I don't know. I don't still think of myself that way. But the thing is, we do recognize that there are people that can see things that we don't see. And I, that's what I appreciate about the group that I work with. There's not, we don't have the egos in the table. I've worked with others that have. You know, that we should be able to figure this out. Well, yeah, you should be able to, but if you can't, there's no no harm in asking somebody else, even if they're at a lower level than you are, because they have Mm -hmm. a different experience. So, again, I really love that. Yeah, it really seems like there are two types of of upper management or executive people. And, you know, the one, one is someone who will do that, who will surround themselves with people who are smarter than them. And I mean, not maybe not necessarily, but like that's kind of the idea, right? Surround yourself with people who are intelligent, who can help you meet the goals that you're looking to meet. And then there's the other type of manager that feels threatened by people like that. So they want to make sure everyone else is not at the level they are so that they can always be the the one at the top. And I feel like that's not a recipe for success. And Star Trek really lays out the template here that, yeah, no, surround yourself with people who bring something different to the table, who are intelligent, 
who are just as smart, if not smarter than you in various areas. And, and you'll work together to meet your goals. I love that. And I think Star Trek has always been good with that. You know, we can go back to the original series and Kirk mm-hmm. is asking the other bridge officers and others, you know, what, what do you think? And what's your opinion? Or this is kind of more your expertise. And we've seen that throughout the different series. It was just very interesting to see how there's a group of people there trying to work it out, work it out and then say, you know what, let's call some other people from another part of the ship to come down here and help us figure it out, too. You don't really see it that way. It's usually they're working within the characters that are in the scene. Well, let's talk a little bit about the characters who are there, too, because there's some interesting things going on. Uh, Dr. Hirai, I've mentioned, I really like this character. We even get him munching on a snack in the middle of a scene. Did you notice that he's the only one with a plate of food? (laughs) Yep. He's just, that's his thing. He's just always munching. I I was glad they didn't have him have anything in the shuttle bay. Like that would have just been a bit too far, like a little bag of chips or something. Like, no, 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 dude, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to see them go into his quarters and they're like, oh my gosh, you've been hoarding snacks. This is where they all are. They're just scattered all throughout the room. Exactly. Just like bowls of like bar nuts from the ship's bar or littering his quarters or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've also got, of course, President Rillick, who I I really enjoyed in this episode. I feel like she is very open-minded and very interested in pursuing this to see where it goes. She's aware of the time crunch, but at the same time, she's not like pushing things to be rushed. She's not freaking out. She's allowing the process to take shape as it will yeah when people are coming up with ideas and saying oh this or then that just her reactions are like oh that's really good or like she's actually enjoying watching everybody work on this and figure out and you can see her brain working through what they're saying like yes this could work and she's encouraged by this i just her facial expressions were really good with uh these scenes i really like that And in the scene, we also have, of course, President Tarina of Navarre. And there's kind of a little side thing going on here where uh, Saru makes a suggestion and Tarina kind of rebuffs it and says, no, that's, you know, that that doesn't make sense, blah, 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 or whatever. And it kind of puts Saru off a little bit. And he's like, I thought she liked me. Why does (laughs) it? That was kind of cute. And I liked the insight from Burnham that Vulcans tend to overcompensate sometimes when they're involved in a personal relationship in a public display. They like to kind of show that they're not affected by that, by overcompensating. And when she said that, I thought back to behaviors of Vulcans in previous series. And I'm like, yeah, they totally do do that. And she says, you know, Sarek used to do that all the time and it drove me nuts. And uh, I, I love that little bit of insight that sets Saru at ease there. It reminds me of conversations that people had with me, you know, years ago when I was saying like, I don't think that girl likes me because I mean, we were, she was talking to me the other day and now she's, you know, oh, she's just doing that because da, 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 da. Yeah. Those kind of conversations where you're like, is that really the truth or not? Wait, she still likes me and she's doing this because of why? Like, I don't really understand that, but okay. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah, it was cute. I, I like seeing Saru navigating this and being a little flustered and and stuff for sure. Now, the other person, of course, who is in this whole 
gathering besides the bridge crew that joins them is General Ndoye of Earth. And there's your wild card because, as we know from last episode, Book has contacted her and she's kind of their inside person on this whole thing and feeding them information. And at the same time, though, they're working to get out of this orb and Tarka intends to burn a hole in the orb using Discovery's plasma and they need General Ndoye to do this. And this was so frustrating that this general is here seeing the progress and seeing how, how far they've come and the leaps and bounds in communicating with 10C. Now, of course, Earth is threatened and she's panicking and she's wanting to do something. But I just, with this character and book, of course, as well, I just found myself like screaming at the television to like, no, you can't do this. Like, why are you listening to Tarka? Stop it. Yeah, I would say this is probably my least favorite part of the episode. It's not that it's bad. It's just like you said, it's frustrating. I can tell with her character that she wants to do something, but at the same time, she doesn't because she does see progress as being made, but maybe it's not going to be enough and maybe it's a little too late, you know, for this. Maybe there's not going to be enough time. So I was sensing from her there's some struggle of should I or shouldn't I? And it's just like she's battling it within herself. Like, you know, I need a contingency plan. Okay, we'll go ahead and do this. I don't really want to have to do this because I think we're making some headway, but I don't want to miss the opportunity at the same time, you know? I mean, she's probably more real than anybody now that I think about it. It makes sense. Like, she's she's acting out of desperation and fear, but it's just so frustrating, especially later when Tarka's kind of true colors are shown and he locks up Book and he's kind of pretending to be book via text message. And I was just like, oh, I wish she would have not done that, obviously. But I mean, I wish she would have applied some critical thought and realized that like this, this is progressing and you're putting them all in danger. And ah, uh, that was frustrating. That's really the only word I can think of for it. <laughs> Absolutely. And when we get into this a little later, I'll tell you what really started to frustrate me about it. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, yeah, so the communication thing's going on and, and Species 10C realizes that they understand this kind of basic language they've constructed to facilitate communication. And they send this little pod with a discovery door in the side of it to get the folks to come join them to negotiate face to face. I thought that was really cool. It was like just even that tiny insight into the thinking of the 10 C is like, Oh, the, this is what the things that these people walk through look like. So we'll give them one of those to say, please walk through this. <laughs> yeah, Cause when I first saw that, I was like, well, those look like discovery doors. That doesn't feel very alien. Oh, wait, they're making it that way. They're inviting them in. They're trying to make it familiar to them. Duh. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And even I'm kind of jumping ahead a little, but even when they go into the pod, it looks like they're in, you know, a discovery room of some type, you know, it, it was really cool. 
Yeah, well, they they recreate the bridge for them to after they because yeah, it looks like the turbo lift right. inside the pod basically, and then they walk out and it's the bridge. Now my brain went in a completely different direction here because I was like, oh, duplicate discovery, oh, Calypso, and I was like, oh wait, no, okay, no. Oh, wow. I'm just always looking for some little clue as to how Calypso's gonna figure into this, but. Anyway, my brain just like for half a second went somewhere where obviously the episode like that's not what this is about. I could see that. Yeah, I didn't think that. But yeah, I could definitely see your brain going to that direction. Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm always looking for something. Come on, people. Let us know what the Calypso thing's about anyway. But yeah, so they're they're negotiating. They're figuring out different terms and stuff. And while this is all going on, we've got some drama unfolding aboard Book's ship because, like you said, Jet Reno kind of flags Book onto the fact that Tarka is going to kill them all because she's caught a glimpse of the equations he's doing. And we can see while Tarka is looking at this, he has this brief look of like, should I do this? Yeah, yeah, I've got to do this, right? Like he's got some hesitation or something. And Jet kind of looks at his equations and realizes what he's planning to do, which is when he takes the the energy source, it'll collapse the hyperfield, killing everything inside. And at the same time, the DMA will collapse into some big subspace void and it'll be an even bigger danger to earth and all that kind of stuff and tarka doesn't care right like he's off to his other universe like he really does not care about what happens to the people here jet reno alerts book to this and book confronts him and we see of course tarka's taken all these contingency measures to protect himself and book ends up locked up along with jet uh again yeah i mean i'm I'm so over tarka (laughs) Right? Yeah, especially now, because I've enjoyed his character for the most part. He can be annoying, but I was enjoying his character. And then we got to the episode about his backstory. It was really working for me because he has this desperation to join his friend in this other universe, and he needs all this energy to make it happen, right? But when he was first looking to destroy the DMA, it wasn't to kill anybody. You know, if anything, he was looking at it as a win-win. I get my energy that sends me to this other dimension. And at the same time, I save humanity in the universe from the DMA. It's a win-win situation. Now he comes across more as too desperate, which means now he comes across as being insane. Like he doesn't care if he kills this alien race, the members of Discovery, Earth, or any, like, now he's just insane. He's just all about himself, where before it didn't feel quite that way to me, and now I really dislike him. Yeah. Well, it makes sense for his character, because he sees his goal in his grasp. Like, it's right there, right? And he's justified to himself that, well you know, Discovery will have time to get away. It'll be fine. And Species 10C, they're so advanced, they'll have time to get away too. It's fine. And the the anomaly I create will take a month to get to Earth. They'll be able to evacuate. It's fine. It's fine. He's just, every step of the way, he's justifying it, saying like, well, it's not so bad, you know? Well, And it feels like he made a little compromise here and a little compromise there. And now it's snowballed into this and he just can't see past 
what he wants. And somebody made a comment online and it makes a lot of sense to me. He's a lot like Dr. Soren. You know? I was just thinking that. Yes. Exactly. He wants to get back to the nexus. Like he he has this just goal in front of him and he doesn't care if he kills the millions of people on Viridian 4. I just, yeah, the parallels are there and, and obviously I hate Tarka and he just needs to go away. But at the same time, I can see what led him to this point. Like I can see where it just kept going and kept getting out of his control and you see things like that day to day not on this scale obviously but where somebody makes one compromise and then another compromise i mean the the deep space nine episode in the pale moonlight was exactly about this where you know cisco wants to bring the romulans into the war and he makes a little compromise here to get some biomimetic gel and then by the end he's basically a party to a bunch of murders to make this happen and it just snowballed out of control and you know his goals were more altruistic of course than Tarka's is but it's kind of that same idea and I just I don't see any absolution for Tarka at this point he's too far gone like he is just a force that needs to be stopped now that's just it he's too far gone I just feel like like you said he's making all these excuses and things and he can't see reason anymore he just sees that goal you know and it's really telling too that he wants to join his friend but he mentions he's only had two friends in his entire life and book is one of them and reno even calls him out on it like you have a funny way of showing it that Mm -hmm. you're friends with book you know you just you know beat him up and locked him behind a force field and it's like it's like he just doesn't care about anything else anymore and it's just it's sad because isn't he just being like the villains that treated him badly to begin with? You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's disappointing that he's gone down this road. And to me, there's no redemption. And that one scene where he says he's had two friends and one of them is book. All I could think of through that scene is he has no idea what friendship is. Like if that's what he thinks, if we take it as read that he's not just saying that to manipulate book. If he thinks that's what friendship is, he's just never had a real friend besides maybe this scientist friend of his. But like, no, (laughs) he's just so twisted the concept of of what human or people interacting with each other is. That's a good point. That would show that maybe he has never really valued life. Mm -hmm. You know, he's only valued his own life. And he then is locked up with someone for a long period of time and develops a friendship that he's never had before because he probably never felt like he needed anybody. He just needed himself and his research and his studies and life maybe isn't all that precious to him. But it also kind of makes sense that, again, if we take what he said as genuine, that he's only ever had two friends, the friendship that he has with Oros must mean so much to him if he's never really experienced that it's kind of no wonder he's so driven to get back to this guy because like he's just so craving that connection that he's never ever had in his life and i'm not saying this at all to justify his actions they're unjustifiable obviously but like what's driving him must be just so deeply rooted in his psyche at this point that like this is what friendship is and I have to get that back kind of thing. I think I still in some ways enjoy his character. It's just more of 
again, I'll get to this a little bit here because it relates to it, but he's just driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, General Ndoye does enact their plan. Book, like I said, is locked up at this time and Tarka sends her this message and she blasts Discovery's plasma and Book's ship escapes and the away team who are contacting 10C are immediately sent back to Discovery and things look to be in a bit of chaos as... I guess Tarka is going to go pull the plug on this whole thing and, and it's going to be bad. So that's kind of where we're left going into the next episode. Yeah. There's a lot that I think needs to happen in the next episode, but I'm really eager to see how this all plays out too. Absolutely. Me too. Uh, You know, so, okay, now I'm going to get to my part that drove me crazy. And again, it's nothing wrong with, with this episode, but it just irritated me because the whole communication with 10C, I was really invested in this. This is my favorite part of this whole story. And so they get in the pod. As you mentioned, they're now on a replica of the bridge. They're making headway. And I'm just wanting to see where they go with this. And because of what Tarko does, what he does, they're being backed onto the actual discovery. And the whole thing ends. And this puts this whole thing in jeopardy. And I just want to say, screw you, people. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> this is like going to a play and someone then, you know, the scenes, the, the play's really good. And I'm, I'm enjoying the story. And someone pulls the fire alarm and we all have to leave. And, you know, <laughs> that's how it felt to me. I was like, oh, why can't we just leave this play out? Why do we have to build this extra drama in here? and throw a wrench in the whole situation. And then they have to figure out how to correct it and fix it. And I was like, I just wanted this to just happen. You know, yeah. not, it frustrated me again. It's not like I'm mad at the writers or anything. It was just, mm, I was so mad at Tarka. <laughs> See, and and I love that, like from a, from a dramatic perspective, because that is exactly, I think how we understand that the members of the contact team are feeling too. Like they were so close, they were making headway and it all gets snatched away from them. And now they've got to deal with this. And dramatically speaking, I love that. I love that we're basically put in their place as like, no, we had it. We had it. We were right there. But at the same time, that was the best part of this episode to me was that storyline of trying to communicate with the aliens. Agreed. And to Absolutely. pull that out like that is just was like, I, I would have found it more satisfying if they just played it out and continued on as opposed to adding this dramatic element to it. I know we're going to pick up where we left off in the next episode and hopefully they'll get it fixed and it'll all work out and everything. But, ugh, I just, mm, I wanted this to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's awesome. Well, any final thoughts and maybe a rating for the episode Species 10C? Yeah, there was one thing in here that I perceived one way, my wife perceived a different way. When the pod arrived, then we saw Burnham and Saru go back to her quarters to talk and and do the scream at each other, which I thought was a beautiful scene. I liked the scene. But at the time it happened, I thought, aren't they concerned that the aliens are going to wonder why they're not getting in the pod and why they walked away? And for all we know, they arrived back at the shuttle bay and the pod's gone. They're like, where's the pod? Well, the aliens couldn't wait anymore. They thought you weren't interesting. You walked away. That was going on in my head. And then I thought, well, no, they probably know that, you know, the aliens are going to wait or something. I don't know. When I watched it later with my wife, they go to her quarters and my wife says, I thought there was a time crunch. 
What's going on? Why are they just going back there and just having a conversation like this? I thought time was the essence. I don't understand why this is happening right now. I was like, I hadn't thought of it that way either. Now, did any of that stuff occur to you for that scene? A little bit, yeah. I mean, the kind of preparations for the going like I I kind of understood that like okay let's discuss who's gonna go what's gonna happen that kind of thing and then yeah the diversion to the quarters thing I was like the timing of this seems a little odd I kind of went with it a little bit that like okay they're they're probably I don't know getting ready for this mission or whatever but yeah there is a time crunch and all of this I didn't worry too much about species 10c thinking like oh they're not interested i feel like they're invested at this point and so are we and it's like okay they need time to prepare but yeah the the time crunch of the dma heading towards earth was what was in the back of my mind for sure right because everybody's like we're running out of time we're running out of time uh saru would you join me let's just have a go have casual conversation (laughs) right now you know but again i love the scene Mm -hmm. love the scene so that's one little nitpick there but overall this whole episode i loved i really enjoyed it a lot even though tarka annoys me but the whole jet reno scenes with book and and being on the ship there was definitely something that was needed because i couldn't probably take another episode of just book and tarka arguing with each other (laughs) (laughs) and then uh yeah the communication with the alien species there was just so much good in this and I'm sure I'm forgetting something else that I really enjoyed that maybe we didn't touch on, but I would say I give this episode five out of five dots that were squealing. Oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I really enjoyed this episode as well. There's a lot to love in it. I really love the science fiction aspect of making contact with somebody so alien and, and maybe in some ways so far above you that they don't really realize you're intelligent. There's some really smart stuff going on in this episode. And I really enjoyed, I loved the scene on the fake discovery bridge where they're communicating and they, they managed to communicate the concept DMA plus us equals terror. And when they make that idea known to species 10 C, they respond with great sadness So it feels like they now understand or, or at least they have some inkling like, or they, they didn't realize before. And now they're expressing sadness is how we're supposed to take that. I'm wondering if that's what that was actually communicating, but it feels like that's what they're trying to communicate there. So they've made progress, but with this now, it feels like there's been an attack on them now and they're, probably trying to figure out what to do and the fact that also they had the isolytic weapon there means they're not differentiating between what the discovery crew does and what book and tarka have done right they don't understand that that's two different people so they're seeing this as one encounter so that probably bodes pretty badly for future relations so we'll see how that works out too but yeah i love this episode i'm so eager for next week's to figure out how this all wraps up so yeah like you i have to give this five out of five really cool shiny beans that they use to transport you over to species 10c there you go i like it so now let me ask you this no tilly you were hoping last week we'd have Tilly maybe by this oh, point. Man, I mean, if she's not, I don't, I don't understand. Either she's in the next episode or they lied to us. 
and I'm hurt. <laughs> no, I think I think she's in the next episode. It may just be a simple thing, like when they return back to the Federation, they're reunited with Tilly. And, you know, I, first of all, I don't know why Mary Wiseman isn't around. Like, I, I've heard speculation of people saying, like, oh, well, maybe they're making the Starfleet Academy series and she's off doing that. Well, they're not making this series yet. So even no. if they were just filming a pilot, it wouldn't take her away from more than half of a season. You know, it just it wouldn't take that long, which makes me think she either there's two reasons. Either she had another project lined up that conflicted with this and she, she already had a commitment. So they had to write her character off so the actress can do that. Or maybe there was some kind of health issue or something that she was involved in. You know, I don't want to get all, you know, something in her personal life that could be going on. I don't know. And it could be that she wasn't even around for the filming of the last episode, but they filmed it earlier on it's like when Tignataro isn't there for the whole thing it's like well maybe Mary Wiseman they filmed her last scene weeks ago for the final episode and so but yeah I think we'll see Tilly next week but I just I have a feeling we won't see a whole lot of her yeah well they they have a lot to do in the next episode as we've kind of talked about and I wonder if we'll get a bit of payoff with what Kovic is up to as well and maybe Tilly has something to do with that or something too I don't know because he was working on communicating through the galactic barrier or something. So maybe they'll get in touch with Discovery somehow or something. I don't know. So I guess we'll uh, we'll find out in a week or later this week, I guess, when this episode comes out. So, yeah. Yeah. When this episode comes out, we just have to wait a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. So exciting. I wish we were there now. <laughs> Me too. Well, that's it for the Discovery episode this week. When we come back after this brief break, we'll talk about Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 2, Penance. I have had enough of your stupid patronizing. And I've had enough of your obstinance, your stubbornness, your insistence on changing in all ways but the one that matters. This is not a lesson. It's a penance. Dang, Q, you scary in this episode. So we're talking about Penance, the second episode of Picard's second season. And let's just jump right into this because I have a lot to talk about with this episode. We start out with uh, picking up right where episode one left off with Picard and Q in Picard's vineyard his his chateau there in this twisted weird changed reality and the first thing i want to say is the first thing i just said a few moments ago which is q is scary in this episode and i was watching this before he even did the one thing that like was just like made me gasp but i was the hairs on the back of my neck were already standing up going like Q isn't really saying or being very different than what we've seen him before, but there's something about him that is just getting my hackles up. And like, I'm, I'm scared of Q in this moment and I've never been scared of Q before. Maybe the closest was when he sent the enterprise to meet the Borg and Q who, but even that wasn't even close to like the threat that I'm getting off of the character this time around. There's something going on with him that we're going to find out later, I'm sure. So it's mm -hmm. this is the same cue, but it's not the same cue because the cue has something going on that he feels like he's 
needing to intervene with Picard's life on this. So I want to see how those two things are connected. Yeah, definitely. There's just, yeah, little indications that something's a little off. And then in this like shocking moment that, like I said, just made me gasp when Q just backhands Picard. And you're like, okay, this is a totally different ball game. Like, what is going on here? That was brutal. Yeah, then Jean-Luc just lets the blood stay there for a while. I kept wanting to wipe it away, and he finally did. (laughs) (laughs) It's symbolic, Bruce. It's symbolic. We've got to see it there. I know, but I kept going like, wipe it away. Like, it's driving me crazy. Yeah, It's like when you have a runny nose, it's like you just don't let it run, <laughs> blow your nose. But yeah, but then, you know, yeah, this cue is so different in, in that respect. There's something very scary about him. There's always something a little scary. I was thinking back to some previous cue episodes and of the other series, and sometimes they started playing more of a joke. You know, they started trying to pull more of the humor out of him sometimes, and you just need to let him be menacing as much as he can. But in a kind of, I, I think he he's better if he is a little scary. And like his, his line there where he says, this is not a lesson. It's a penance. It's just like, whoo, chilling. And, and what a way to kick off this episode, which to me is just after last week's episode, I was like, okay, that was a banger of a beginning of a season. I don't know how they're going to top this. Like this story is really cool, but this episode just keeps it coming with, with the things that have me questioning what's going on, what's going to happen. I was really blown away with this episode. I'm going to say that right at the top of the show here. And we get this look at, Picard's life in this changed reality. They go into his study and he has a number of skulls on display. And we get introduced to a number of these skulls. And the Deep Space Nine fan in me was in equal parts like excited and horrified. <laughs> we see the skull of Gul Dukat, which I'm like, okay, that's fitting. Good for him. That's all right, you know, justice. And then General Martok. And I'm like, no, come on. And, uh, ah, <laughs> oh. and then Sarek, like that's brutal as well. And we see a Ferengi skull and there's a Grand Negus staff next to it. So I'm like, is that Zek or Rom or someone else? <laughs> What's going on here? This is not okay. <laughs> no, but it was so chilling. I mean, just to add to what you're saying about the character of Q and how, He's playing out this anger, this something deep and dark going on that he's bringing to this role. And then, you know, Jean-Luc, you're in this hell, as Jean-Luc calls it. Why did you bring me to this hell? And and to come into this room, it is hell. You know, it's Dante's Inferno in a sense. You know, it's like you've got those skulls there and Jean-Luc's the one who executed them and he puts them up as trophies and it's these characters that we know of whether we like the characters or not right and it's just it is chilling and at that point i was like okay we're in for a wild ride mm-hmm, absolutely so i feel like a lot of people watching this episode their mind is going to go to the mirror universe right and we even see q say something through a mirror darkly right 
I, I am enjoying this because it's not the mirror universe that we've seen in the past. It's a, it's a changed timeline. It's like the mirror universe in that the Federation is now this kind of totalitarian regime, but it feels more real and more grounded in what is possible in our future. Like if you watch the mirror universe episodes, it's kind of clear that basically the Roman empire never fell and it just kind of continued forward. And, and that's interesting to see those versions of our characters. But what we learn in this episode is that there was a change in the past, in the year 2024, so two years from where we are now, that led to this future. And you can see a society that we give rise to doing these things and becoming this thing, because it's not, you know, this Roman Empire thing. It's it's a fascist regime. It's what we saw happen in Berlin in the 20s and 30s. And that sort of thing. Like it's, it's something that we could absolutely give rise to. And I think to me, that's way more terrifying than the mirror universe that this is, this could potentially be our future, I think is the implication of what caused this timeline to rise up here, which, yeah, I, like I say, is just terrifying. It is. And I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, I think it's saying, I think that the message is going to be, if we don't stop doing what we're doing, this could be our future, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe this was a, maybe this timeline is something that really does or had played out and something changed it to the Star Trek universe we know, as opposed to the opposite way of things. Probably not. But I'm just saying that, yeah, it's it's to say, you know, we look at things, we look at Star Trek and say, this is the future we hope to have. And I think what Picard, the series is saying, well, if we're not careful, this is the future we might have because this is the path we're going in. So mm -hmm. we have to course correct. Absolutely. And the, the other main thing that we learn, of course, is that tea is good. Coffee is evil, right? <laughs> right. dark Colombian roast nope that's bad <laughs> yeah blah what is this yeah and then he, his servants you know are romulans they're slaves and mm -hmm. i mean i was half expecting at some point to see laris but the fact that his synth didn't know about laris in the previous episode and stuff but then we find out he has run into laris and jabon in this timeline and they've they're both dead, you know, it's yeah. at the gates of Romulus. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. Well, yeah. So we've got Picard contending with all of that and coming to terms with that. And we see another member of our group that presumably was plucked from the timeline when the, the stargazer was destroyed. We see seven of nine who is not seven of nine, but Annika Hansen, and is apparently the president of the Confederation. She's the head of the whole Earth Empire, never having become a Borg. Instead, uh, married to this guy, this first husband, who's like her little adjutant here. And uh, yeah, you'd think it's kind of on the face of it. You'd think, oh, she's the president. She can 
like control things and, and manipulate things like she'll have a handle on things, but it's almost that like, because she's so front and center and so focused on, she has to be even more careful than Picard at this point, because, you know, any little weirdness is immediately kind of realized by the people around her. So she's kind of got a tougher assignment here. She does. And who would have thought that someone who was a Borg in one timeline would be the president of the Confederation in this timeline? And and her husband, if I get this right, Isa Briones' dad plays her husband in this. Yeah, that was interesting. And it, it took me a little while to realize, where have I seen this guy before? And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I thought he did a great job, too. But uh, her going into her office in Con Rios and trying to figure out the, you know, are you with me here, too? Are you from my timeline? And he just does that seven Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. That was so cleverly played out. Because, yeah, we see Rios and he's commanding a ship like his freighter in season one, but it's part of a little battle group of a bunch of these ships. And they're fighting Vulcans. And we can see Vulcan in the distance being bombed. And it's just like, what is happening here? I did love, I had mixed feelings about this like a lot of Deep Space Nine fans, I'm sure, too, where her husband says, do you you, you want an update from the war? I'll, I'll get you a comm link from General Sisko. And at that moment, Deep Space Nine fans everywhere went, yay! And Seven of Nine says, no. And Deep Space Nine's fans everywhere went, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I don't really want to see Cisco in this timeline. I don't want to see evil Cisco. Cisco is good and awesome and wonderful. I don't want to see the horrible general Cisco because we see Picard, but it's not really the evil Picard. It's Picard from our timeline. He's still good. I don't, I don't want to see evil Cisco who's murdered everybody around him. <laughs> nope. Nope. Don't want to see well, it. Well, <laughs> if I did see evil Cisco played by Avery Brooks, I would be thrilled about that it, regardless but i see your point however you could work this in because i'm assuming that when we see the stargazer explode that those ships all in that realm of the explosion all those crew members are in this universe aware of themselves from the previous universe oh you think so well because like you mentioned you said something about you know, basically that Q seemed to handpick these people or whatever, like brought these people over, you know, and it's like Rafi and Elnor were on the Excelsior, yet they're here too. So they weren't on the Stargazer, right? So did Q just randomly pick or, you know, just pick certain people to come into this timeline? Or was it, I was assuming maybe that anybody who was in that explosion is self-aware in this timeline. So what I'm getting at is, could you have a Gen uh, Cisco serving on one of those starships and reveals himself as General Cisco, but he's aware of himself from the previous universe? It's possible. There's a line by Q here that makes me think he just specifically grabbed these people because when he's trying to get Picard to play along with whatever this is, he says, I've brought you help as well. You, you're not alone. And Picard's like, nope, get out of here. 
And uh, I, I think he's referring to he brought along Picard's pals, basically. And I, I feel like that's all that he brought. I don't think everybody in that fleet came with them. Oh, I would just love to think that the whole fleet's there. Because I was thinking if the whole fleet's there, we could see like a Captain Geordi show up. That would be cool. <laughs> you know, something be... like that. And you may be right. Like, I'm just speculating. Like, I, I have no idea. But uh, yeah, you may be right. I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe that will be answered or maybe it won't. We'll see. <laughs> For sure. Uh, who else do we have? We have Gerardi, of course, and we have Elnor and Rafi, and they're all in different situations. So Elnor is running in, he's in Okinawa. He's par- apparently part of this rebellion that's going on. And he's, of course, like everyone else, going, what the heck is happening? I have no idea what's going on. There's this Romulan woman who's like this bright-eyed idealist who's like, we're free today. We're going to be free today. And then she immediately gets shot in Elnor's arms, which that was so tragic. I want to learn more about this poor woman and her 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 idealism. And Oh, that's so sad. And the commander who's leading this force that's that's chasing them is Rafi. And she's able to use that position to kind of get her hands on Elnor and save him from dying and has him as her prisoner is kind of a ruse to, to get him out of the situation. So, yeah, they're all kind of finding where they are in all of this. The thing, one thing I loved about this scene, though, is when Rafi and Elnor, or especially Elnor, realizes this is his Rafi. That he runs to her and they hug. That was know? so great. <laughs> <laughs> this is also his commanding officer as a cadet. And yet, you know, they have that bond and connection that he can go to her and hug her. And you see as we go through the episode, I mean, she kind of has a motherly instinct, you know, or, you know, a, a deep care for him, obviously. And so those two together, I like the combination of having those two as a pair. Yeah, and Elnor, of course, bringing that childlike persona, but also the absolute candor uh, of what he says. But also, I think absolute candor is shown in when he runs up and hugs Rafi, because to have done anything else in that moment would have been a lie. Like that, not, not representative of how he feels. And I love that. That was such a sweet moment. And Rafi has that estranged relationship with her son. And so she doesn't have her son in a relationship right now. So Elnor becomes kind of that son, I guess. Yeah, I think there's definitely some of that there for sure. Well, we also have Agnes Gerardi, who's apparently closely tied to the president and and is a scientist working there. And this is Eradication Day, we find out, which is where they celebrate the eradication of, of all these species and they carry out further eradications and one of the things they're going to do is kill off the last vestiges of the borg collective the borg queen is under lock and key in agnes gerardi's lab i I gotta say (laughs) dr gerardi i wasn't the biggest fan of her last season and a lot of that wasn't the fault of the actor or the character or anything like that but you know, she spends half the season under the spell of a Vulcan mind meld and murders someone and all of this stuff. So we didn't get a huge chance to see the real Agnes. I've got to say in this episode, I love Gerardi so much. She is that. Okay. The whole like 
I'm jumping all over the episode here, but when everyone gets together basically in her lab and she spouts off this like minute long diatribe about the the relationship she has with Seven or with Annika, I guess, and uh, explanation of everything that's going on and just casually throwing in things that like explain little weirdnesses from earlier. I was just like blown away. I love this character. <laughs> now I'm with you on that for sure. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't like Girardi, but this was the episode where I really loved Girardi. You know, it was like, she was so good in this and she has her little spot 73 or whatever that she created. And... <laughs> Played by Patton Oswald. Like how crazy oh, is that? <laughs> I mean, there's just so much about her. It was like really the fish out of water, right? More than anybody else in the situation. And she just, yeah, going on that whole big story. And earlier when Annika shows up and she's like, seven, you know? Why did you call her seven? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, college. It's whatever. It's a long story. Like just her playing all these things. And even just the rush to get the the communicator, you know, to work. Yeah. So that the transporter were like all these things that she was doing was just kind of frantic and in a fun, funny kind of way. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think this was her best character moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Casually dropping in, you know, an old Annika seven shots, but never mind. And that's so <laughs> right. great. So yeah. good. The one moment where I just really actually felt for the character of Gerardi was we, we find out the Borg Queen has this ability to kind of see across different timelines and see different versions of events. And she says, time is broken. And she realizes that things have gone all wonky. She looks at Annika, for example, President Hansen, and says, you were Borg, but you're not Borg. Like she sees the different versions. And she looks at Gerardi and basically says something along the lines of, oh, you're out of sorts and uncomfortable no matter what universe you're in. Like you're, you're always the odd one out no matter what. That's like sad when you find that out about Gerardi that as awkward as she's acting here, that's exactly as awkward as she feels and acts even in her own normal timeline. But at the same time, that also makes her a little bit uniquely suited to deal with this, which is why I think she's able to rattle off all that stuff and kind of get them out of hot water there a little bit. I love that. Like, what a what a tragic thing for a character, but also could be a bit of a strength in this situation. It's like the writers of the new Star Trek stuff are honing in on the Tilly awkwardness characters. You know, mm. it's like, because I feel like with Adira, there's a little bit of that, you know, because with Tilly gone, Adira's kind of filling that void. And now... In a way, I guess, Girardi, I mean, they're not the same type of characters. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, in a lot of Star Trek, especially like TNG and stuff, you know, most of our characters are pretty well put together. But in reality, a lot of us have a lot of insecurities and awkwardness. It it would only make sense that we see characters in that same type of situation. Yeah, for sure. But like I said, here it, it may be a bit of a strength. Like she's used Mm -hmm. to feeling like this already so she's going to be quicker to think on her feet i think than some of the others to get them out of situations and stuff she's a fragile little teacup (laughs) exactly well we've got this event that's going to happen for eradication day which is general picard is going to execute the borg queen 
on stage in front of everyone and uh, they're unable to escape before they have to go do this. So it's going to make things a little awkward, right? They're on stage and Seven is in the position of the president. Picard's there and they want to rescue the Borg Queen, which is that's a whole crazy thing in and of itself, but we'll get there. That scene was interesting where they're like playing for time and trying to stretch it out while Gerardi is trying to figure the the way around the safeguards and stuff. What did you think of that whole scene and like the the Picard having to vamp to the crowd and the crowd like getting riled up and then wait, what's going on? And they start booing and like what a what a precarious situation to be in. It was a bit awkward. <laughs> it's like, okay, he's got to drag it out and the crowd's starting to turn against him. Uh, you know, I was like, what's he going to do? You know, they're just standing there. He's just pointing the gun. I almost expected Picard to just say, okay, I, I can't just stand here and just wait. And then I thought maybe he would start to get more dramatic and start making like, but before I shoot the Borg Queen, you know, and like just try to keep rallying up the crowd and just playing off and just and just buying himself time as opposed to just standing there and like and just with the phaser aimed at the Borg Queen was really awkward. I, I just thought maybe he'd be able to play that off a little better. But I liked then how he did turn on the security people coming on stage. Yeah. I also, a very small detail in this scene that I noticed that I love is like even the Borg Queen is standing there and she's like kind of smirking like, huh, what are you going to do? This is a tough situation. (laughs) I kind of love that. She's the Borg Queen. Okay. Annie Wershing as the Borg Queen definitely is channeling a lot of what we've seen from Alice Krieg and Susanna Thompson, but definitely bringing her own to the Borg Queen a little bit. And the kind of smirking and the little just like kind of knowing looks and stuff. Really interesting. I, I thought that was a lot of fun weird to say like the Borg queen is kind of fun in this but she's kind of fun in a way i wanted to see her be just a little more pissed off than doing that but at the same time it's like yeah but you know what i have a feeling the queen knows that maybe she's cut off from the borg but she's she knows that she has another avenue out like Mm -hmm. she knows how this is going to play out and she's almost playing them well, she, I mean, she's definitely there to see a return of the Borg to their rightful place in the right timeline. And like, that's the deal that Seven makes with her and like mixed feelings, right? You're, you're in this universe where everything's twisted and horrible, but the Borg are gone. And now you want to go back to the good universe, but where the Borg are still fairly powerful and stuff. That's a little... Ooh, like bit of a weird choice there. But I love that Seven presents that to her. She's like, do you want to be the the last remaining vestige of the great Borg Empire? Or do you want to help us set things right to the way they were before? And the Borg Queen takes like half a second. She's like, agreed. Like she's on board. <laughs> and yeah, the little kind of knowing looks on her face she does have a plan i think that's outside of what they're planning but at the same time even if just their plan goes the way they want it to that's still good for the borg queen so it's win-win for her it was really ironic to see them all beam to the la serena and there's the borg queen next to them 
this was going to be my next point. Yeah. The like, the like team shot, like the camera <laughs> right. goes across and like, here's your wacky team. That's going to engage in these adventures. And it's like, you know, Picard, Elnor, Raffi, the Borg queen <laughs> record scratch. <laughs> right. Like what? I love it. <laughs> it's almost like something you'd see in a video game, right? You just choose which characters and oh, I'll put the Borg <laughs> queen on the team. I love it. It's such a weird, like the events that led us to this point. So weird. I, but I love it. Like, I love that it's this, you know, they're going to take La Serena and do a warp slingshot around the sun. They even reference the Kirk's enterprise having done that before. And, you know, how are they going to do the calculations? They had Spock. What do we have? And it's like, ah, we'll use the Borg queen. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Oh, I love it. She's their science officer. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now, somebody in a comment brought up a good point. Where's Soji in all of this? Because she wasn't there. She wasn't at the anomaly. She was back at the the doing her mission, the goodwill mission thing. Is it possible that Q plucked her as well and she's somewhere? Or is she, like, just not in the season anymore? Because... Wouldn't she have been a good one to do those calculations as well if she was part of this group? She would, yes. So I saw that comment too in our group. And if you're not in our group, join our Facebook discussion group. But here. It's a, <laughs> I, you know, I thought about that, which kind of led me back to the whole Q brought the people who, uh, on the ships that were in range of the explosion because Soji wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so I would assume she's not there and she's not going to be in the season. So I went back to the previous trailers that we've had. And the only images we see of Soji that I saw were from that first episode. I don't see anything else of Soji. I'm thinking that Soji is not going to be in the season. And if if she is, it may be later in the season, but I'm I'm not thinking she's a part of this. Yeah, I kind of uh, got that impression as well. And the trailers, like you said, I'm pretty sure, like you, all those images are from what we've seen already with her at that dinner and stuff. So that's a little um, unfortunate, I guess. It was Joshua DeVries that made the comment in our in our Facebook group. So thank you for making that point. I hadn't thought of it. And it was your comment, really, that made me go, hey, wait, where is Soji? So, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. I would like to see her more. Because in the next episode, if they get to do the slingshot effect, which I'm assuming that's what's going to happen in the next episode, and they're back into the 21st century, I don't know how you would get Soji there at this point. Like, how do you work Soji into the storyline? I don't know. We do know that that Asung is still to be uh, revealed. Also, there's a big, like, holographic statue at one point in this episode. And it was, I can't remember the name, but it was somebody Sung. Was the and we hear the voice, some famous speech of his or something. Adam Sung. Adam Sung. That was it, and that's a name we've not seen before, right? Yeah. We've never seen an Adam Sung before. Not that I recall. No, <laughs> there are a lot of Soons out there, and they all look and sound alike. <laughs> yeah, because the the one from season one was Alton Inigo Sung. So yeah, different name. Interesting. Yeah. Well. Um. So yeah. You alluded to we might see that slingshot next episode because this episode doesn't quite get there. They're about to get away, but the their shields are overridden and Annika's husband and a security team beam aboard La Serena. And 
I have to say the first thing that happens is the only non-human there besides the Borg Queen gets shot. And I was like, yep, that's about right. Do you remember, and I, I made this immediate connection when we were reading the book for our last book club episode, and we talked about how the two Cardassians and the Bajoran were in the cave, and Damar and the soldier gets in there, and the Bajoran is immediately shot. I just yes. had that same vibe here that like, oh, oh, uh, oh, pointy ears, shoot. And like, ah, I hate that so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that, about relating to the book that we just spoke about. Oh my gosh, yes. It is just like that. Absolutely. But yeah, I didn't even connect those two together. I don't know why. Because that was so powerful to me when that scene happened in the book that it didn't even, I, I think it was just so quick in this episode that it but also, okay, let me take it. I, I think I know why. Because I was kind of expecting something like this because of some of the trailers. Oh, right? fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't like, oh, th- it was more like, oh, this is the moment where Elnor gets injured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, oh, speaking of Elnor, one one thing we didn't mention was earlier when Rafi has him as a prisoner and she brings him along into this area with the true security guards. And she's like, oh, I brought this as a gift for you. And she's working on the computer while these two guards are like beating up Elnor while he's tied up. And I was like, that sucks. Poor Elnor. Like how unfair. That's awful. And then like Rafi's done doing what she needs to be done. She's like, okay, Elnor, you're good. And Elnor just owns those two guys even while tied up. And I was like, oh, right. Of course. Yeah. Never mind. I know. He's I love seeing that. I was waiting for it. Of course. <laughs> They're beating up on him. Like this isn't going to stand. He's going to do something. Right. Of course. Yeah. But And he did it with his hands cuffed the whole time. Like, I thought maybe they were loose and that he would just, like, break them up and, you know, have her, his hands free. But no, he was able to do everything he needed to do with his hands cuffed. Yeah. That would have been funny, though, if, like, after that was all done, Rafi looks at him and it's like, Elnor, you know I, I loosened your things and you could just take them off, right? And he's like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he turns on the cards, would you hold these for me? And then boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, so to be continued, of course, next week, we'll see how they get out of this. And I'm assuming we'll see time travel shenanigans then. Interestingly, it's kind of taking the same form a little bit that we saw in season one, where, you know, these first two episodes are them kind of getting to where they need to be. And then episode three is where they set off on their journey, right? That's kind of how season one went. Definitely different flavor this time around, though. I did see a criticism online that this episode was just them getting to where they need to be. But I actually like that they're taking their time with it. Like, introducing us to this universe, I I don't want that rushed, you know? And I think they managed to do it fairly quickly, even with all of that considered. So uh, I, I'm really enjoying the pacing of this season. I think it's perfect. I love that they, they're not immediately going back in time right away. We're taking the time to kind of get them to where they need to be and learn more about where they are and what's going on. Yeah, we need that time to just establish what this universe is, get us used to what's happening, and where all the characters are and what situations they're in and then bridge them all together. So, yeah, you need an episode like this. The only way you'd avoid that is you just have all the characters appear in the same room together at the same time in this universe and in the first 10 minutes figure out what's going on in this universe and then they go off and do their thing. And yeah. it just wouldn't have made sense for them to all be together. 
yeah i i really really enjoy the way the way they did it and uh yeah i i'm really i i'm glad that we're not just immediately out of it too that we still get more of this universe right now and we're not just immediately back in the 21st century next episode and let me just ask this, too, because I've seen some things online. I haven't really read too much into it, but how do you compare this season so far to the last season? I'm, I'm, I'm seeing people talk of like, oh, they're like the writers finally listened to us and, oh, this is correcting what went wrong with season one. Of course, these are the people that didn't care that much for season one. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm enjoying it on a number of levels, I think, more than season one. And I liked season one. I, I enjoyed season one. But I think it was my least enjoyed series of new Trek in season one, if that makes sense. I don't usually like to compare things like that. But, you know, as far as just week to week, I was enjoying the story, but it wasn't the most exciting part of the Star Trek universe at that time for me. Whereas this season, I think right now it is the most exciting part of the Star Trek universe for me, which is an interesting kind of flip. It's two different types of stories. I enjoy them both, but I I've got to say I'm on the edge of my seat more so far this season for sure. Yeah. And I guess my quick comparison between the two seasons right now is that everyone seemed to have their demons at the very, you know, very start of the season. And we're not used to that in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we were talking earlier about characters seem to have their act together and, you know, pretty much well put together kind of people, but we've got Soji on the rocks and, and Rios on the rocks and, and Picard's kind of given up on things and everybody's kind of in a negative place. And now we're finding them at the start of this season in a positive place. Yeah. You know? And so I think, I think that has something to do with it. But I think once this whole series ends between the three seasons, it'd be interesting to watch it as a whole and see how these characters from went from the bottom up. You know, mm-hmm. if it will have that feel of these are good people that start off at rock bottom at the series and look to where they got to today by the end. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm really curious to see where everything goes and, and to track those character arcs, like you say. That's that's kind of cool. Like that was one thing seeing Rios in the command chair of the Stargazer in episode one this season. I was just, I was so happy for the character because he was in such a dark place in season one. And now it feels like, oh, we're seeing the real Rios. Like this was him when he was in Starfleet and he's back where he belongs now. I really appreciated that. So, you know, some people may in a way kind of dismiss it as, oh, they just took everybody's criticisms and just fixed everything. But I feel like a lot of the things where the characters are this season make sense based on what they went through and, and what they, the demons they exercised in season yes, one, if exactly. that makes sense. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so therefore I remember when we're talking about season one, we're saying this is a different Star Trek because it's not really about Starfleet. It's not really involving Starfleet. Nobody here is part of Starfleet. And now they're part of Starfleet, whether directly or somewhat indirectly. But, you know, that's the thing. It's not going to play out that way for the rest of the season. They're not necessarily Starfleet officers in uniforms on a mission. They're Mm -hmm. on their own personal missions. Yeah, for sure. And 
Again, like I, that's one thing that I loved about season one is that it was so different in that way. And I love that, you know, even though we started more traditionally in season two, it feels like the still it's still going to be this ragtag crew doing this adventure outside of the normal confines of Starfleet, which I have to say is is the same as how I felt with Kirk and his crew in Star Trek Four: the voyage home. You know, like I, I love that being separate from Starfleet. They're going to be in civilian clothes. They're, I don't know. It's just, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I think we're going to see some echoes to that movie in this for sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. Uh, so any final thoughts and a rating for Penance? So watching this episode, I was really enjoying it. I loved the first episode too. And I have to say, when I went back and rewatched this and Discovery, I found myself enjoying the Discovery episode a little more. And I, I guess the I guess the thing is the first time watching this episode was really great because like you said, there's a lot of things that keep throwing at you. You know, there's you know, a lot of things going on and, and things just keep coming. But now that I know what's coming, it wasn't as interesting to me watching it the second time around, but I still really enjoyed it. So I'm going to give this four out of five bloody noses that you just don't wipe. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. It was one that had me, like I said earlier, kind of on the edge of my seat the whole time. Star Trek has never really been one for me to go like I have no idea what's going to happen next you know other than the broad strokes that we know from the trailers and that kind of thing but this episode threw so many curveballs at me like you you can you can do the usual like oh we know from the trailer that there's going to be a changed reality and that Q's involved and blah 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 but the specifics of it and what happens and where everybody is like the fact that seven is the president i that was mind-blowing i had no idea and like her having to navigate that world the biggest surprise for me in this episode was just probably how much i love gerardi like i uh and her connection with the borg queen there's some interesting stuff there like the only friends it's noted as well. The only friends she's had really are synthetic, right? She has the spot 73 or whatever it is on the computer. Uh, she has her synth friends. And now is the Borg queen going to be a quote friend for Gerardi now? Like that seems like something that's a little bit foreshadowed here. So there's so many curveballs this season has already thrown us in two episodes i cannot wait for more of them to come my way uh speaking of curveballs and baseball the cisco shout out is just still that was so great i'm so happy i i like you i would totally forgive them if they showed us evil cisco and it was avery brooks i'd be like okay i'm okay with that but uh yeah i don't know some people are claiming it's Chekhov's Cisco. Maybe he's been shouted out. We'll see him at some point. I don't think that's the case, but I would be thrilled if it were. So with all of that said, I don't think I can give this any less than five out of five angry Q eye twitches. Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> something's not quite right with him. He's a little unhinged. He's not quite sane, as Picard says. Yeah. I'm wondering when we'll see him again, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if he doesn't appear until towards the end or if he'll appear throughout. Yeah, there's still some stuff with him in the trailer 
that we haven't seen yet. So, okay. uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yes. Well, I'm very anxious to see that. And just so you know, Dan, because we've been reading the Tarak Noor novels, and I mentioned on the last episode that I've never really have done a full rewatch of DS9. I watched watch bits and pieces in there, but you know, I've watched it as it came out. But um, I started this week. I'm attempting again to binge watch the whole thing. I got I watched the first five or six episodes of season one and I'm determined to get through them all on a binge watch. Oh, that's excellent. You know, it's funny last week I, uh, I realized I haven't watched TNG in a long time. So I started a watch of TNG and I got about 20 minutes into encounter at Farpoint where I, when I had to leave and go do something else. So that's where I'm at right now. So your very impressive five episodes versus my 20 minutes of the first episode of TNG. You're definitely winning that race there. <laughs> well, I would say that because we're reading those books, it has created even more interest. Like I'm, as I'm watching, they're talking about, because those first few episodes, you know, they keep talking about Bajor and, and the occupation and this happened and that happened. And I'm like, I'm reading those now. And there's other things they mentioned I'm like, oh, well, that hasn't appeared in the first two books. I wonder if they'll do something with that in the third book. So now I'm really getting invested. Oh, excellent. Well, where can people go to see your live tweeting the rewatch of Deep Space Nine? Well, I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And I'm also on Instagram, but I don't really post much there at just Admiral Rex. But yeah, look for me in the discussion groups and look on Goodreads in our book club. Join us there to see what books are coming up. Excellent. You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And of course, as Bruce mentioned in our discussion group, the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook is where I hang out a lot of the time lately. It's a great discussion group. We'd love for you to join. And if you'd like to help out the podcast financially, we'd really appreciate it. Patreon.com slash Positively Trek. But as I've been saying a lot lately, the best thing you can do for our podcast is to listen. So we appreciate each and every one of our listeners. And hey, if you know one friend out there who might enjoy Positively Trek, go tell them about us. We'd really appreciate that. So thank you so much for listening this week. We'll see you again next week. Until then, as always, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.